1: Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Micah. Unfortunately, Laura is sick this week, but luckily we have one of our Slug Club patrons on in the Laura chair. Let's call it Katie. Hi, Katie. Welcome to MuggleCast. Hi, guys. Happy to be here. We're excited to have you. Thank you so much for your longtime support. You've contributed some great thoughts to today's discussion, too. So we're so excited to have you part of our discussion. I hope all of our listeners pull out their single malt whiskey because students from two foreign wizarding schools are pulling into Hogwarts in this week's installment of Chapter by Chapter. Katie, before we go any further, can we get your fandom ID?
0: Yes, so my favorite book is Order of the Phoenix because it's thick and that's what I wanted at the time. Lots of pages. <laughs> more,
1: give me more.
0: Favorite movie: Goblet of Fire because, uh, to Eric's like longtime point, it's full of color. It's like the last film that's just like bursting with color. They did a lot of stuff wrong, but what they did right, they did great. And they gave us like some banger songs from the Yule Ball, which I definitely listen to. Can you dance like a hippogriff? Na, nah, <inaudible> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hogwarts House, Slytherin. I Ooh. thought it was a Gryffindor my whole life. Uh, Pottermore told me otherwise.
2: Wow. How are you, Katie? I'm still, how, how are not, you? I'm still, check in on
0: still like, uh, I grew up like a jock, so I must be in Gryffindor. But then like, if I stack the tests to get in Gryffindor, then that's like a very Slytherin thing to do. So it's like an ongoing- <laughs> yes.
2: yes, it is, it is, yeah. <laughs> so
0: just accepting it, Slytherin, Ilvermor- Ilvermorny House, Pukwajib, and my Patronus is a Heron, Ooh. which I used to be very excited about because that was the author's Patronus. And now, um, I, you know-
1: You're less
3: excited. you're like, can we just not? <laughs> yeah, Let that be the only bur- thing sh- we share. I shouldn't have even
0: said that, but yeah. Now it's just yeah. yours. It's just yours. Yeah, Yeah. exactly.
1: Thank you for sharing your fandom ID, Katie. And thank you for your support on Patreon. And thanks to everybody who supports us. We really appreciate your financial support through Patreon or Apple Podcasts. So before we go any further, last week, inspired by Harry and Ron's approach to their divination homework, we took turns making predictions about one another's futures. So I thought we should revisit these and see if any of them came true. First of all, and this actually might explain why Laura isn't here this week, I predicted that Laura will encounter a great fortune the likes of which she has never seen, but <laughs> it'll be just out of her grasp due to an unspeakable law of resistance. So maybe she's still trying to get that money, or maybe she got the money.
3: She just doesn't want to tell us the truth, right? <laughs> I think she had to, yeah,
1: she had to not be on the show in order to claim She's going to break it to us softly. Micah, you predicted that I would get offended when someone doesn't want to chit chat, but it's not an affront to me. They are processing something I wouldn't want to talk about anyway.
0: This was so personal.
1: <laughs> Should I be speaking to my therapist about this one or why? Because I'm not sure if this
3: came true. Yeah, you might just want to check in with them to see. You know, you might be bearing it on a subconscious level. Whoa, okay.
1: Micah, Eric predicted that you would learn about a new restaurant in Indianapolis that's too good to pass up. Did that happen?
3: I believe it did. Oh. So Eric must have some Trelawney blood in him. So- uh, see, th- this one is tough because I know Eric knew, or maybe he didn't know that I was going to Indianapolis next week.
2: He did. I did or didn't I know? I don't know. <laughs> the stars
1: have told me.
3: Uh, but I, I I have learned actually about several uh, restaurants in Indianapolis that seem too good to pass up. So Eric,
1: wow. lead in the charge here. Bon appétit. Right. And then lastly, Laura predicted that Eric would get a lead on something new, exciting and unexpected
2: in the coming weeks that would transform his day to day. You know, I'm going to take it that Laura's absence is here, so it didn't come true. So the must something must be a complication of that. Uh, okay, I'm still waiting on that one. She
3: did
1: say in the coming weeks. So, yeah,
3: Eric has some time here.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: You got some okay. time. Safe to say those. uh Predictions could have gone a little bit better,
2: but I guess we are we all have a little Trelawney in us. I'm still waiting for our uh, Tycho Didonis predictions to uh, really hit home the (laughs) uh, Fantastic Beasts uh, prophecies that we made. It is Valentine's Day week, and we have a Valentine's-themed edition of bonus MuggleCast coming up today, right, Eric? That's right. Uh, We are going to be playing (laughs) a wonderful take on the old, beloved MuggleCast segment, The Dueling Club but we're reworking it to make it the snogging club. <laughs> we're going to be spinning a wheel and then it's going to give us
1: two random characters and then we're going to have to argue why these two characters should be paired
2: together. Yep, yep. It's, I it's, can't it. wait. This oh takes shipping God. to... And Katie, you are welcome to join us in play.
0: I cannot wait. Sign me up. Put me in coach. <laughs> All right. <I'm> so ready. <laughs> All right.
2: Katie's at bat. So this is like spin the bottle. That's exciting. Something to look forward to. In the bonus on Patreon. And thanks to everyone who subscribes to us on Patreon and gets cool features like the bonus MuggleCast things. This is also a new benefit of MuggleCast gold on Apple Podcasts. So
1: yeah, going to be a lot of fun. And hey, Spotify listeners, did you know you can easily submit feedback each week? Just tap into an episode and you'll see a box that says, what did you think of this episode? We might even feature your feedback on that episode's page in Spotify, like we did for this piece of feedback. This was left by Josie on episode 643 a few days ago. She said, I love muggle cats. And yes, I did that on purpose, cat emoji. I am a diehard Swifty, and I love this reference. The reference being that episode's title, which was was Karma is Crookshanks
2: purring in my lap. Thank you. Love you besties, Josie. Thank you, Josie. You know what? I will say I'm glad that it wasn't a reference to Quizage getting rid of fun usernames. I'm glad that uh the 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 vitriol has not gone that far, so we're back by the way, everybody, to hybrid names on Quizage. I guess we need to launch
1: a spinoff podcast called Muggle Cats and Eric is a cat owner, a cat father,
0: Ooh. so you
2: could lead that show for us, Eric. I would love to lead that show, Andrew, please put me in, coach. <laughs> Katie, do you have any cats?
0: I sure do. Oh,
2: yes.
3: You already have an apparel line, too, Eric, that you can start with.
2: That's right. I have uh, an apparel line that says Martha can do no wrong or Martha, Martha's way is the right way. So, oh. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, no matter where you listen, no matter
1: how you support us, thank you, everybody. We really appreciate it. And now it's time for Chapter by Chapter. And this week, we're going to discuss Goblet of Fire Chapter 15 Bobaton and Durmstrang. And we'll start, as always, with our seven-word summary. Katie, are you ready?
0: Oh, boy.
1: Uh, yes. Put me in, coach. She's gonna play. (laughs) Okay, here we go.
0: Foreigners. Arrive. At. The. Clean.
2: (laughs) Squeaky. School. Perfect.
1: I think we just need to add a little comma right here. G- clean, squeaky, school.
2: Yeah, or clean hyphen squeaky. But then is that one less word? <gasps> oh, wait. Yeah, separate. Comma, comma, comma. Comma, comma. comma.
1: <laughs> Okay, so for this first part of this discussion, I want to talk about the Imperious Curse and Moody's DADA class. I was chuckling as I was reading this chapter because last week, we were debating whether or not Dumbledore knew that Fakey was teaching the Imperius Curse. I am now confident Dumbledore did not know that these curses were being taught in Moody's class. Because in this class, in this chapter, Moody claims Dumbledore wants the Imperius Curse taught on all of them. And there is no <laughs> way. There is no way. So I, I, am, I, I am now convinced Dumbledore does not know. And this also makes me think that these unforgivable curses are only being taught in Harry's class because if he was teaching this to all the students that he had and doing the imperious curse on all the students, it, had, it would have a much higher chance of getting out.
2: Of somebody finding out what he was up to. I mean, this really represents the biggest secret kept from Dumbledore that's right under his nose. I mean, if if this is true, Andrew, it means Dumbledore does absolutely not know what's going on in the school. Yeah. It's kind of like an own a little bit. I mean, are you prepared to say that Dumbledore is that clueless? Ooh, well, it's a big school. And
1: I just I can't compute why Dumbledore why would see this going on and be like oh whatever it's fine it would be cruel it would be a fireable offense at the Ministry level yeah
0: he probably trusts Moody who he believes to be Moody so much that he doesn't even audit the class ooh Ooh. because he's like it's Moody it's 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 Alistar there's just there's just no way that he would do anything like this and Fakey makes up stuff like you know big guys don't want you to know to make the kids, you know, to give them some agency and confidence that they're allowed to participate in this very exciting aura type training. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And, and to the question about whether or not this is only Harry's class, I'm not so sure of that because we're told that they're not supposed to learn the unforgivable curses until sixth year. So presumably I don't see why he wouldn't be teaching this in fourth year, fifth year, sixth year. You know, and and to kind of expand on that, someone raised this in the last episode. I can't remember if it was Laura or it was you, Eric. But this is very much a playing with your food moment for Barty Crouch Mm. Jr. He is literally able to perform unforgivable curses on fourteen-year-olds with zero repercussions, and it reminds me of McGonagall's comments from earlier in the book that surely Dumbledore would have mentioned something to moody about using transfiguration as a punishment so if dumbledore doesn't allow transfiguration as a punishment he surely doesn't allow his professors to perform unforgivable curses on his students yes like so i agree with andrew he does not know about this there's no way
2: Uh, well going back to again i just i really have always thought that dumbledore is like omniscient about every, like every time Harry sneaks out, I'm like, Dumbledore somewhere has a gizmo that went off in his office and knows about this. <laughs> the I just always pictured that. And this- You got a little air tag alerts. Your Harry
1: has has left you. He has <laughs> left the school boundaries. He's checking
2: his his snap map. He's checking his <laughs> Harry Potter snap map. Well, anyway, however, you know, this is well-reasoned, Andrew, like lately, this, this really stumps me. And the only way I can reconcile that Dumbledore wouldn't actually know is if Moody is putting or sorry, Fakie is putting a secret imperious curse on the students to where they're not allowed to tell an adult what's going on. Maybe the curse has not been lifted after they leave class. I want to also
1: address, Eric, the point about Dumbledore knowing everything that's going on, being omniscient. I I agree with you. I have agreed with you before on that take. I feel like it makes sense that he really does know or knows, let's say, 99% of what's going on. But then moments like this happen, and I'm like, I feel like this is proof
0: he doesn't. He's attending events coordination meetings about the Goblet of Fire. Oh, yeah, maybe it's just <laughs> busy. How goblet. many meetings yeah. could
2: they have had, given how badly it goes? <laughs> <laughs> he's cleaning
1: the trophies. He's 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 helping cleaning the school as he's well.
0: He's like, oh, no. Nesting mothers. uh, It's probably (laughs) fine. Perhaps a little too dangerous. But if that's the only one we got, got to do it, I guess.
1: So then there's the question of the trio and why they would just go with it. Did it cross their minds that Dumbledore would actually not want them to be imperious? And I see Court, who's listening live right now on our Patreon, bring this up too. Why didn't Hermione rat him out? I'm wondering if they didn't question it because they went into their first DADA class being very excited about Moody. They had heard good things about him. Their
2: guard was down when it came to Moody. This and the events of the Quidditch Cup, uh, you know, with the resurgence of the Death Eaters really does sell that it's darker times, um, darker times call for darker lessons. I think that, you know, it's funny to see, you know, if that is a reason why people's guard was a little bit more down, they're used to getting into a little bit more... Or they're amenable to the idea of getting into, into harder lessons or deeper, darker magic. Uh, it's because of something that Fakie actually did earlier in the year in casting the dark mark. Oh. So that's kind of fun.
3: But yeah, presumably this is a fireable offense, right? If this word got yeah. out, if, if any student wrote home to their parents and said, Oh, yeah, you know, what did I do in school today? I got imperious and, you know, did cartwheels around the room or almost jumped out the window, like, if you're a Wizarding World parent, you have to be very concerned about this. And mm-hmm. there's even a through line to Order of the Phoenix because there's now a track record for students not going yep. to Dumbledore or their head of house to basically tell on what their professors are doing, right? With Think about with Umbridge, Harry's in detention and he's got the scar now that's showing up on his hand because- Literally, what he's writing is burning into his skin, and he doesn't go to anybody about that. Presumably, that would have gotten Umbridge tossed out right away. And I think it's the same thing here for Moody. If anybody would have said something about this, Moody would have been gone.
0: You just reminded me, too, that I think Umbridge, speaking of Order of the Phoenix, I'm pretty sure when she's um, dissing every single DADA professor and Harry gets all offended, the last thing she says is she comments on Moody doing this stuff um with mirth and then harry's like oh because it was you know it was a death eater and then that's one of his detentions Mm. so it does come out at some point like the details of this and also i mean
1: this could be cause to fire dumbledore too i mean the the buck has to stop with somebody and it should probably be the person who hired moody (laughs) or fakie (laughs) <laughs> Why wasn't he vetted more? I, I Look, I know it's bizarre to hear me say this because I tend to be the guy defending Dumbledore, but it's very upsetting that this Death Eater was working undercover at Hogwarts, imperiousing the students, lying about Dumbledore. Somebody has to take the fall here and not just Fakie. Let's talk about the Imperious Curse and what happens. We actually get an inside look at how it feels to be put under the Imperious Curse. Harry experiences the most wonderful feeling, a floating sensation, as every thought and worry in his head was wiped gently away, leaving nothing but a vague, untraceable happiness. He stood there feeling immensely relaxed, only dimly aware of everyone watching him. I thought this was a very interesting description. I don't think it's what I would have expected uh, especially because this is an illegal curse and and very very dangerous but on the other hand reading it I do understand it because it's it's almost wiping out your brain to control you you don't have any other mm-hmm. feelings because you shouldn't you're being controlled
2: right right yeah all of the suffering that we have all of the if you have anxiety if you have um, intrusive thought, all of that's gone because your only thought is what you're being told to do it's sad, actually, that Harry goes to this place of relief and happiness mm-hmm. because he's been so traumatized that he's pro- he's never felt calmer <laughs> than when he's under the Imperius Curse. I, I think that's what we're meant to take away from it that it's that it's actually a tragic thing that Harry is relieved uh, to be in this state. Mm. I'm sure.
0: Yeah, some people might feel. Um, I suppose. You, everybody would feel this relief so that they would do the thing but I would imagine maybe some people feel discomfort not relief but but nothingness or unconcern but yeah the, the word relief is interesting there when you call it out like that what could he be you know to be thir- thir- 14 and needing relief from something
3: yeah there's yeah seemingly this false sense of security that exists mm-hmm. in being under the imperious curse and thinking about it these two, well, if you look at Imperio and Crucio, they're really at the opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of what they do to you, right? Because Imperio makes you feel, at least because we've only seen it experienced through Harry's eyes, safe, right? Comfortable. The Cruciatus curse inflicts severe pain. So mm. it's it was just interesting to me that these are kind of at different ends of the spectrum in terms of what they do to you, even though they're unforgivable.
2: Yeah. Well, yes and no on that. Um, because Faky is ultimately doing relatively safe things to them with the imperious curse. I think that the issue that comes is once you um, are experiencing harm or pain, the curse kind of forces you to do that too. So it's it mm-hmm. like, he says that um, the imperious curse can be used to make the spider drown itself, right? Like that wouldn't be a, Blissful feeling while it's doing it, but maybe because the agency is completely removed, so you don't. Well, the agency in that is, moment, but your, yeah, but your body would be protesting. Your lungs would be wanting to. It would be a hard. It's already a horrible thing. But to think would about. they? Like that's the question,
3: and that's what makes this. I think probably outside of the killing curse, the most dangerous of any of the unforgivable curses, because you're literally going to do anything. Without any kind of resistance, unless you're somebody like Harry or somebody who's practiced in being able to resist this type of curse.
0: I mean, you'll you'll be a Death Eater for years, right? And then claim that you were Imperius, Lucius Malfoy. I think there was like the far most.
2: But yeah, you're right, Katie. Um,
1: um, well, and and the, and doesn't Moody say? the ministry was really, well, fakey says around this area of the book that the ministry was having a hard time figuring out who was imperious and who wasn't. So right. to your mm-hmm. point, Eric, about a test, like, unfortunately, you're saying like a test to detect if somebody was imperious or not.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like, like uh, mm-hmm. everyone who claims that they were imperious uh, should have their drawing room floor searched for trap doors to a, a cellar full of, evil and dark objects and then be given the benefit of the doubt only after a thorough search has been completed. Right.
0: Or very personal questions, right? Yeah. Right. Nicknames, Molly Wobbles. Yeah. And all
2: that. (laughs) That kind of stuff.
1: I was wondering if there's a Muggle equivalent to these sensations that Harry is describing, or certain adult vices. (laughs) If you're sedated on some level, or you're drugged on some level, I
3: think where you lose control of your abilities, that could certainly yeah be comparable.
0: There's the the big difference between the the uh, motor control, you know, from in the Muggle world, any kind of sedation usually compromises physical ability and Moody's having people do somersaults and dancing and all of this stuff, which requires like very detailed motor control, which I I failed to find because of that any anything close to. That in our,
2: yeah, world. it's a good point. It's like somebody's inhabiting your body. It's just not you. Yeah,
0: puppet master. Yeah. yeah,
2: I think that the personal like detachment that one feels to one's own body could be maybe achieved or similarly by like meditation. Um, but you're you're entering, you know, kind of a very slow moving to your point, Katie, like state. And your yeah. your 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 body is not active during this time. You're sort of freeing your mind, depersonalizing, finding a higher plane of enlightenment. It has nothing to do with cartwheels mm-hmm. and somersaults. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: all the positive things of letting go and finding relief from within. Right. Yeah.
3: yeah. I think Laura had a pretty good suggestion here too, which was hypnosis. That might be the closest. Mm. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah. Comparison.
0: Yeah. I there. I think there is plenty of examples in culture and and. Like psychology, the history of psychology of people doing things, doing things. But I've never tried it myself.
1: Me neither. I'm afraid to. I'm too. a bit skeptical.
0: Yeah, You're that afraid too. to? Uh, well,
1: yeah, I don't want to be controlled. If it actually works. Well, because <laughs> in high school, we had these, like, after the dance, there'd be, like, this event at the school to keep you away from, like, partying and whatnot later into the night after prom or whatever, and they would bring in a hypnotist And they'd have like 10 students up on stage and they would do it. And I was present for these. I wasn't on the stage. But these people, you know, when I snap my fingers, you will fall asleep. When I snap my fingers, you'll wake up. When I snap my fingers again, you'll do a dance. Stuff like that.
0: And I, it seemed pretty convincing to me. I didn't hear everybody otherwise. fell in line. Yes. It wasn't just like the theater kids that all signed up and then did it. <laughs> oh,
2: you know what? Coincidentally, coincidentally, all the volunteers were from the theater department. <laughs> yeah. No, Andrew, I, I'm with you 100 percent. Anytime I see that and it's like supposedly real and it's in front of me, I I'm terrified. What if it were yeah. me? Like I I don't like the idea of not being in control of my own body. Amen to that.
1: Well, let's keep moving along here. Somebody mentioned a few uh, minutes ago that Harry was able to resist the curse to an extent. Part of him didn't understand why he should have to jump on the desk, which is showing his resistance. Fakie is actually very impressed by this, and Harry's the only student that can resist. But I was also thinking, so Fakie's enjoying himself, but is he secretly mad? Because he's learning here that Harry's a pretty good fighter. In a way he didn't necessarily know.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So I I I had this thought that you know, because he not only teaches the kids Imperious Curse, but he makes Harry do it four times until Harry can throw it off completely. And later in this book, I'm pretty sure Voldemort tries to use it on him in the graveyard with like the bow thing. I think. I think Lucius tries it again. So he he's equipping Harry with the very skills that Harry will use against the Death Eaters. And Um, it, it, whereas like surely a guy of this much power, if he's inside Harry's mind could probably do like a nonverbal, uh, hex to weaken Harry or like mess him up, you know, plant some kind of seed there. He could easily sabotage Harry in some way. Um, and it made me think about Polyjuice potion. And, um, if somebody takes it for long enough, do they kind of, is there a risk for, um, Disassociative identity disorder, where you actually start to believe the person that you are. Like, is it possible that Barty Crouch is just getting so into Moody's character that he's just excited, feeding off of these kids, and um, you know, leaning into his role as the zany professor, uh, just knowing that, <laughs> like, you know, the the stronger Harry is in the back of his mind, he's justifying it. Like, stronger Harry is. Uh, the more Voldemort will appreciate the fight or something, you know, like he Ooh, could be making up all kinds of lives maybe. to himself. Like, I do
2: think there's in the LARP community, we call it character bleed. I do think that Party oh, sure. uh, okay. Crouch has has some character bleed here. There it um, goes. Yeah. You know, Professor Moody, Professor Moody he loves being called that.
0: Yeah. Uh,
2: so fascinating.
0: And I, he's really, you know, think he was an Azkaban. Like this could, he could be really enjoying his time here. Yeah. I
1: keep coming back to Eric to like complimenting Barty Crouch Jr. a few weeks ago, being like, I'm impressed by you. And at first I was like, wait, what? But as we continue to read and as we continue to analyze,
2: I get it. Like these points being brought up. What a fascinating character. <laughs> yeah, kind of really Seriously. interesting. Yeah. And 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 it's like he likes Voldemort, or he's at one point, he's on Voldemort's side. He's willing to be part of this plot to get Harry to go to meet Voldemort and die but he also really wants to train Harry a little bit to kind of mm-hmm. give the Death Eaters a run for their money. And mm-hmm. there is something pretty sick about it. It's the playing with your food before you're eating it. But actually, Harry is thankful. And I, I think um, in the future, Harry, you know, really credits Fakie for uh, even just, he's the one who tells me she should become an Auror. That is a life path that Harry does go down. So it definitely, we can't, discredit the impact that this no. death eater disguised teacher has on harry's development it's really interesting
0: no. nor can we forget that he does sleep next to a body in the trunk Ugh. every night Ugh. so what a, what a creep layer layer upon layer of complexity there to the point where harry asks about it and he's like yeah it's got some cool stuff
2: ZN in the discord says that fakies love bombing Harry. (laughs) Oh my
3: gosh. Yes. For Valentine's day, of course.
0: Yay. I
2: I
3: think he just really enjoys it though. I, I think there's something about him that loves the fact that Harry is resisting this and it presents a bit of a challenge that he maybe wasn't expecting. So, uh, I also think that there's like a connecting the threads bit here to Lupin because with Expecto Patronum, how many times does Lupin push Harry till he finally gets it right? Much like Moody does the same thing here until he's finally able to resist the Imperius Curse. So there's definitely connections. I know we talked about Umbridge earlier, but there's a bit of a connection here with Lupin as well.
1: We are going to discuss whether or not Harry's Horcrux could be in play in this scene. But first, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. One thing I
3: wanted to call out, because we are pretty good at identifying moments throughout the series now that we know that Harry is part Horcrux, and This is a moment I feel like we should. Oh, sorry, (laughs) sorry. Did you not finish book seven? I know you didn't like it. When did this happen? I wanted to ask: Is Harry resisting in this moment the Imperius Curse, or is the Horcrux resisting? I love this question. One would assume Voldemort is extremely good at resisting the Imperius Curse, Mm
2: -hmm. and
3: we hear a voice talking back to Harry inside of his head. Now, I don't want to take anything away from Harry. We know he's good against defense against the dark arts. It's his best subject. But I also feel like we often throw out the question, is it his best subject? Because it was Tom Riddle, one of Tom Riddle's best subjects. So uh, Harry's not really good at anything.
0: I don't think we ever hear Harry have an argument, an internal argument with himself Mm. ever, except for this one moment. So it is kind of um, probably a coincidence, though. But interesting that it's also in the centerpiece book of the seven.
2: Yeah, could be hinting at I, what's to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the idea that he hears this other voice when he's in it, like a trance-like state, so he's able to connect on a like totally deep level with another persona or another 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 personality. Is here? I do think it. It. I love this theory. And normally, when we ask the question, you know, is Harry's Horcrux giving him an advantage here? I would usually say no in the earlier books, especially. But in this case, I'm prepared to endorse that, Micah. I'm prepared to say this is like the first real, you know, time where the Horcrux really shines. It's because Harry has something that the other students don't. No other student is as good or uh, fails to be completely controlled uh, the first time. But Harry is. And I think it's because when Harry's mind is wiped with the Imperius curse, there's still someone else there. Also, just want to
1: throw out a little foreshadow alert, because Harry says, the way Moody talks, you'd think we were all going to be attacked any seconds. I'd say that's uh, foreshadowing what's going to be happening at the end of this book. So now let's move on to the other half of this discussion, the excitement around the Triwizard Tournament. So the Bobatten and Durmstrang students are arriving on Halloween Eve, and the students are very excited. Though Ron is, Ron's mood is a, a little dampered because uh, we learn that Hufflepuff's Cedric Diggory will be putting his name in the goblet, and Ron clearly does not like him. <laughs> he said, "That idiot Hogwarts champion." And Hermione thinks Ron doesn't like him because he beat Gryffindor at Quidditch. And then Ron retorts that Hermione just likes him because he's
2: handsome. The first thing I think of when Ron, when I hear Ron saying, Cedric, that idiot, is you don't even know him. When would Ron and Cedric have interacted? Like at least Harry and Cedric have actually played on the same team. You know, they played a game together. Ron is just bandwagoning. And I think he's doing it because... Like I, he was probably next to Harry when Amos Diggory at the beginning of the year was like, oh, my son beat your, you know, Harry and Quidditch and isn't he awesome and stuff. But the thing is, that was Cedric's dad. Cedric himself is a class act. Cedric is such a class act that he that the Goblet of Fire picks him to be Hogwarts champion. So I just think it's unfair for yeah.
3: Ron to remember he wanted a rematch. He offered Harry a rematch right at the yes. end of Prisoner of Azkaban or in, exactly in the it. book somewhere.
2: Yeah, he well, he had requested when he found out why Harry fell off his broom. So it just comes down to looks, then, right?
0: Ron knows Cedric's yeah. a good-looking <laughs> guy. Cedric, he's a Chad, and Ron's not. Ron's <laughs> mad about it.
1: <laughs> I mean, Ron basically admits it comes down to looks. He says yeah. to Hermione, "You like him just because he's handsome." That's that's a classic thing that happens in school. You're jealous. This is and... quarrel, though. Yes, yes. Happy
2: Valentine's mm-hmm. Day. Th- this is beginning. Ron's um, character flaw. We know this. And he's pre-attacking and pre attacking and he's getting pre defensive for no reason against any potential threats. Totally. In his uh, pursuit of Hermione. Yeah. I also, thought it could be kind of fun to talk about Ron
3: from the standpoint of, you know, for all we've seen through these first couple of books, he's very much Team Gryffindor. He hasn't expanded to be anything more than that yet. And that, Obviously, changes very quickly once Harry's name comes out of the Goblet of Fire, and he's all about Cedric as opposed to being about Harry. But it's also just a maturity thing, I think, for Ron, where you know he he's grown up knowing Gryffindor, but he's not grown enough yet to see, you know, kind of being Team Hogwarts. He's like, mm-hmm. if Cedric's name does come out of the Goblet of Fire, which it obviously does. He's not willing at this time to be accepting of that. Like He wouldn't get behind somebody who is representing his entire school, not just Hufflepuff. So I think, as we talked about in the previous chapter with Ron related to Spew, he's got a lot of growing up to do.
0: Mm -hmm. This is a tough book for Ron. A lot of growing pains. No, it is a good point, Micah.
1: And it is a bummer that Ron isn't in a position where he could be like Team Hogwarts instead of Team myself. (laughs) So the faculty is very excited about today as well. And the school wants to put its best foot forward. The school is undergoing an extra thorough cleaning. And this reminded me of when big events happen in the muggle world, in cities. I'll always remember uh, growing up in South Jersey, uh, the, the Democratic or Republican National Convention was coming to Philadelphia. Just oh. over the river from me. And oh boy, was Philadelphia cleaning itself up? <laughs> you know those dividers in the road, like those cement dividers in the middle mm-hmm. of the road to separate like, up opposing traffic? They were painting bricks. On these cement <laughs> dividers to make it look classier. <laughs> Stuff like that. When a head of state comes into the country, a city cleans up. We were hearing about that happening in San Francisco a few months ago. It's time to go undergo an extra thorough oh cleaning. My
2: God. <laughs> That's a great example. I I just think, yeah, like it's funny because growing up, somebody coming over who's not normally over and used to your level of cleanliness, let's just say. Um, was the main impetus to actually do cleaning was the main, was the main, you know, it's like, no matter who it is, you really want to put your best foot forward. And so it's fun to see, I get, I would say cooperation, but it all just seems like it's just mostly Filch, um, you know, who's going around and having to clean up. Hogwarts. Mm. It's also, the funnier thing about this to me is it's a medieval castle. There's no way it's like, <laughs> there's no way it can get like super
0: clean unless they start painting the bricks. Gloss, uh, a coat of gloss on everything.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's no way to really mm-hmm. get it to look nicer. And, and what does nicer even mean? Like more modern necessarily? Yeah.
0: This just for, uh, occurred to me that it's almost a bit of foreshadowing for the Yule Ball too, because in a few chapters, we'll hear about how all the people are doing this to their own hair and looks the same way, you know, in anticipation of of showing up. We get like a similar um, thing with how Sprout and Hanger, you know, how everyone's taming themselves, um, and it's fun. There's a lot of makeovers in this book.
2: It's uh, it's kind of it's a meme behavior, uh, you mm-hmm. know, like you said, all these trends that are coming out of this event, um, yeah. in mm-hmm. the original meaning of meme.
3: Eric just brought up filch but i really do hope they give him some assistance i don't think it's fair that they would make him clean the entire castle (laughs) with no um (laughs) magical help at all Hmm. uh, from any of the other professors or students for that matter
2: this is the book where it's all about house elves house elves are probably Mm. helping Mm. which doesn't necessarily make us feel better um but I know that in the Jim Kay illustrated version, uh, there's a house of cleaning. So pick your pick your poison.
0: Yeah. And it's it's funny how how cleaning is reserved for detention. It's kind of troubling that like no, none of these students are learning the self care of cleanliness in a oh way. My, right. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. such a positive. great point, Katie. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. my God, I, it just came to me like. Well, and honestly, I, that happens. In the muggle
1: world, too, your parent might punish you by being like, punish you to mow the lawn or
2: go clean your room or stuff like that. But you're so right. what about pride? What about, pride, what about the, the, yes. this, like school pride? Let's all chip in together. Yeah. Get it. Yeah. Like let's sure. let's v- volunteer. We're taking volunteers to go, you know, mow the Quidditch mm-hmm. pitch or something that never happens. Well, like, you're, like,
0: you're 16, 17. Make your own bed. Like, how are you getting ready for
2: the real world? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Listen I right? that. They're, I should hope. They're coddled in their beds <laughs> so by the house coddled. elves. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny that nobody at Hogwarts has learned the everyday magic of tidying up.
1: Yes, ah, you're making yes. a reference to the Marie Kondo book of the same name. I love cleaning. I've always been somebody who really enjoys it's cleaning. Good. Kids, yeah. if if your parents are punishing you with with cleaning things when you've been bad, enjoy it. Listen to <laughs> MuggleCast or Muggle Cats
2: while you're cleaning right. up. Or dear maybe, Forest, dear Luke, yes, uh, you know, surprise your parents. Tell them MuggleCast has recommended that you. Clean something and ask your parents where they would like the help. I'll do my
1: chores and you don't even have to pay me a dollar. I'll do it for free because I hear cleaning is a cool thing to do.
2: Well, don't do that because your labor has value.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love cooking and folding laundry to MuggleCast. So um, it all works. Aww. That's my thing.
1: Basically, yeah. what we're saying is it can feel good to, to step away from a screen. It could feel therapeutic. I'd be
0: folding
2: laundry right now. I just don't have clean laundry right now. I didn't watch it first. Unless you're playing
3: Luigi's Mansion, then you could be staring at a screen and
2: feeling good about cleaning things up at the same time. It's so satisfying when the ghosts go. Mm. Oh, yeah, (laughs) that sound is so satisfying. I so agree. All right. So
1: the other schools do arrive and it's very different than the movie
0: oh boy yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah I, so
3: i think there's a huge opportunity for the tv show to max this because we get it at the end of the movie right when both beau baton and durmstrang are leaving but their entrances are so freaking cool and all we get in the movie is just the doors of the great hall busting open some oh, like yeah. cartwheels and butterflies and <laughs> that's it
0: yeah Blowing blown kisses for the pretty French girls, and then Cossack extreme physical Cossack dancing for all of the big burly guys. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, at least we do get to see the um, vehicles fly away at the end. That's uh, uh, of yeah, the movie. But into oh. the so, but it definitely, uh, I think, suffered in the adaptation from over over condensation here.
1: Yeah, these were epic arrivals. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of how the movie does it, of course, Dermstrang is all men. Bobaton is Bobaton. I always, I always say it differently.
2: Uh, all That's women, okay, Andrew. We're working on it. We have all the book to get it right. Well, by Michael. Chapter Vendor. thirty-eight. <laughs> by chapter thirty-eight, you're gonna be a like, Bobaton. Why did I ever say <laughs> oh, it <different?">
3: In fairness, <laughs> in fairness to Andrew. Michael Gambon's Dumbledore also says Bo Batten's.
0: Oh, maybe yes. that's where it's coming of from he does. Man.
1: Cause I'm one of the only like five people on earth who liked uh Michael Gambon's portrayal of Dumbledore. It's but true. Anyway, this whole movie portrayal of an all guy school and all girls school, it doesn't really make sense because if these schools are boys only or girls only, where do the other students who aren't boys or girls respectively go to school? and why aren't Mm -hmm. they competing in the Quidditch World
2: Cup? It doesn't make sense. No. Didn't you know that there are no French men, Andrew? (laughs) Oh,
1: that's it. Okay. Micah, you were just over in Paris. Can you confirm that? That is a lie. Oh, okay. (laughs) So the Bobaton arrive via a powder blue (laughs) giant horse-drawn carriage and Harry notes Madame Maxine's height, and we get a sense of her accent in the writing as well, which is honestly very fun to read, I think, similar to how Hagrid's uh, manner of speaking is, is very fun to read. Um, and reading this area and knowing that they later will be in a relationship, Hagrid and Maxine, it almost mm. feels like Dumbledore is being a wingman for Hagrid. Because yes. Dumbledore says that Hagrid will take excellent care of your horses. Don't worry about it. And she also says that her horses only drink single malt whiskey,
0: <laughs> which I think will be music to Hagrid's
1: ears. Only the finest single malt whiskey.
3: Like- He's
0: got barrels of it. He's been waiting for this moment. <laughs> yeah,
3: I can get some AI of Dumbledore being Hagrid's wingman if you like. Yeah. No? No. Maybe.
0: I like it. I'm not sure what that would look like. I guess. I guess uh, he'd be at uh, a bar, uh, an establishment with Hagrid, perhaps, or looking at Tinder together. The, the oh. thing for me, I,
2: I think we're just not used to seeing it through Harry's eyes or whatever. But this is perfectly on the dot, stately behavior. This mm. is a hundred. The delegations are arriving. You know. They're welcoming each other. Dumbledore has his kiss of her hand, Maxime's hand. And the, yes, I assure you, your horses will be well taken care of. Our gamekeeper, you know, will take care of our care of magical creatures. So, you know, he is doing Hagrid a solid, but at the same time, it's, I I think that it's just very, it just is Hagrid's lucky day, mm-hmm. really, that right. he's the one who's going to be able to handle these massive Courses. Also, I don't think we ever get a real explanation as to why they are the way that they are.
0: Like, why they drink whiskey, what's part of their stuff? <laughs> I mean, they drink whiskey because they're badass. They and that's what I keep telling myself. <laughs> Do they eat? <laughs> they only drink whiskey. Well, whiskey is a meal,
2: actually. I think it's three okay. of the seven on the food pyramid. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Got it.
2: It's sugar because of alcohol. Anyway, I'm not going to. Right, right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I do head canon that Dumbledore is a, is a matchmaker, and that um, he—that's like how he puts his powers of manipulation and love for drama to good use—is just by kind of like setting people up with little concern. Although, to your point, Eric, this is just a diplomatic gesture. Amazing! No,
1: I I love it. A and little bit of both, perhaps. I I think I've said on the show before that Dumbledore having. Being so old and having been in Hogwarts for so long, he needs ways to keep himself entertained. And here's a great way, playing matchmaker for some homies. Because clearly he's not
3: paying attention to what's going on in his classes, so he might as well just be a wingman.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, sorry to bring the mood down, but what if he's like, if he has to also conceal his sexuality or he feels like he has to stay in the closet, then he's also, he's playing matchmaker to kind of distract himself.
0: I've I've written some fan fiction with this premise, but I won't talk about it here. Ooh. We don't have to include this in the show, but Whoa. I'll tell you about it later. <laughs> ah, this sounds interesting. Maybe for the bonus. No, tell us. The premise is uh, it's an Arthur and Molly's time at Hogwarts and Madame Pomfrey's like a, a Meredith Gray type of young um, healer coming to the school and Dumbledore. This was before Potter No More released the background on Minerva McGonagall, but Dumbledore and, you know, McGonagall are like on the same team and he kind of positions um, them together to, he sends Minerva to Pomfrey's room before the feast, where she's very nervous um, with like a little bit of scotch to, to just like calm her nerves and wow. things happen.
1: Oh,
3: interesting. And Dumbledore is
0: kind of pulling the strings the whole time.
3: Wow. Before we uh, move on to Durmstrang, I did just want to ask about Madame Maxime. I know we touched a little bit on her appearance and how she's introduced in this book, but this is certainly something we could talk more about in terms of how the French are represented uh, in Goblet of Fire and and beyond as we spend more time with Fleur. But it, it's definitely coming from a certain perspective. It's probably the best way to <laughs> frame it for right now. And I'm sure. Chloe could provide um, some more insight here. And I'm pretty sure they talked about it on the all girls episode as well, but they don't do Madame Maxime many favors here. And I'm wondering if it's coming from a certain perspective that the author has, or maybe others (laughs)
2: have of... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, she's a handsome woman.
0: I actually think she's one of the few women that the author describes that's not either you know, the, the, her typical archetypes of like the the smart Hermione or like a pretty annoying person. Um, She's like a very strong, handsome, uh, empowered. I think it's the French, all of the English perspective on French people is like, they're all snobby. Why? I don't know. That comes across a little she is written to have like a little bit of her nose in the air. Is that what you're kind of talking about, Micah? Like that sort of.
3: Yeah. And I guess just kind of the shock value that Ron and others have upon seeing her for the first time
2: as she gets out of the carriage.
0: Mm-hmm. It's just too, like a giant I, well, yeah.
2: thing. And I'm in and, and I don't know necessarily that uh, to your point, Micah, that the explanation is ever really given for. Why Madame Maxime looks the way she does, or why the students are arriving on giant horses. Like, I'm sure there's a very culturally interesting reason for all of it that just isn't included in this book. And, you know, before we go and say that the author did like, didn't want to spend time on it or whatever, like, the author was very rushed with this book. And so I think that there were some things that might have been in the book, including greater backstory or understanding of why these things are happening or why. Each of the schools are the way they are. Um, like, I don't know why Durmstrang, which I thought we were just talking about being way up north and I was thinking mountains, but maybe not, have a, a sinkable ship. Like, why, what's the deal with that? Like, there's some interesting kind of choices that I'd love to know more about.
3: Yeah, I mean, there are phrases used as her being unnaturally large. Harry and mm-hmm. only seen one other person as large as this woman uh, but then to your point, she is referred to be handsome, olive skinned.
1: Yeah.
3: So, uh, yeah, it could be a conversation for another time. Mm.
1: Also, in terms of the height, I mean, we have to remember that Hagrid does enter a relationship with her for some mm-hmm. time. We don't know if it lasts forever. Uh, so maybe it could just be as simple as that, trying yeah, to pair them it's,
0: up. It's the foreshadowing to, to the whole Rita Skeeter um, giant, giant tests mm. blow up that they have down the line, I think.
2: Also, it's just hard to date when you're tall, right? I mean-
0: Hell yeah, I'm 5'11". If you're 5'11". See? I'm 5'11". And- My wife is 5'2". Oh, wow. Okay. We're really cute together. You're, I, I bet you're it. really
2: cute together. I was going <laughs> to say, because it's, it's hard to date when you're tall. So Hagrid and Madame Maxime, I mean, they had to give it a shot.
3: No, I guess what I was trying to get at whether we're talking about Beaubaton or Durmstrang with uh, Madame Maxime and Karkaroff is just the first impressions that we're receiving of these foreign dignitaries. Right? They're not overly flattering, and that goes yeah, back no. to the author. Yeah, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's For fair. Me,
3: Karkaroff is like this greasy, oily salesman with like dirty <laughs> teeth.
2: <laughs> well, hang on. The movie does him much worse. I, I, the, the description well, in the book, the description in the book of Karkaroff is savage but fun. He <laughs> described ha- Harry's Harry's perspective is that he has a weak chin, and I think that's that is <laughs> the best insult of a, a dignitary you could ever say is he, somebody like a masculine a guy as a weak chin. He also is
1: describing him as having a fruity, unctuous voice, and I had to look up that word. Unctuous it means excessively flattering or ingratiating oily false or having a greasy or soapy feel so he's a sleazebag greasy i not not necessarily a flattering uh portray on the books either but i i see what you're saying eric um but yeah we can talk about that more as we learn about these characters in the chapters ahead the chapter does end with a big surprise for ron his fave quiz quidditch player is still a student
2: <laughs> we all do it we his all do it his
1: fave Quizage player uh put in your favorite here is still a student and he's part of durmstrang's envoy i of course am referring to Crum. oh man so much competition for ron this chapter cedric Crum, uh he's got his work cut out for him so we will move on to some odds and ends but first we're gonna take a quick break we'll be right back So with Sirius on his way to England, Harry made a last-ditch effort to try and keep him out of the country and away from potentially being captured. Harry seemed really proud when he wrote his letter at the top of this chapter to Sirius. Like, okay, that solves that. And then later, <laughs> Sirius says, nice try. I'm still coming. In fact, I'm already here in hiding. Hey, where is he hiding? Anybody know? Do we
2: find out later? Uh, well, I mean, no, he eventually moves to the cave in Hogsmeade. Could that be where he is now, though? That seems too close. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's for it's, an initial it, arrival. Yeah, I don't know. I ju- Yeah, it's an interesting question. He's at a muggle motel. Ooh, okay.
1: Maybe um, a red roof inn? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, something like that. Sounds good. He's
2: in a motel six. They left the light on for him. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> There's something there. We left the Lumos for you. We let you Lumos. Something like that. We Lumos the light on
1: for you. <laughs> But it still seems really risky to me that he's coming back into the country. Laura, who was in here this week, put in a great point as well. He's still signing his letters. Serious? Come on, my guy. (laughs) He tells Harry. Yeah, he's yelling at Harry for Hedwig, but he's yelling at Harry. He says, you know, change owls uh, when you want to talk more because I don't want people noticing that Hedwig's coming to a certain place again and again. But it also seems in this crazy magical world it it wouldn't be difficult to a know when Harry was writing to Sirius specifically, just to be able to detect that somehow, and
2: b mm. track where an owl is going. I mean, you could, we got the Marauder's map to follow humans, human wizards. The owls, I'm convinced, the owls as a mystery is not going to be solved in our lifetimes. Like how they work, how they, how it is that they <laughs> find you. It's not something that can be figured out. It works, but we don't know how because you would just presumably you could just chase an owl and find Sirius Black and somebody in the government could have done this day one, like get any bird to send Sirius Black, you know, a letter and it would find him, but it mustn't work because nobody's done it. Yeah.
0: I guess people's eyes aren't necessarily on this yet. So yeah, no one really cares too much about Harry the way that they will in the next book Mm. in that sense. I mean like
2: although they were looking for Sirius Black all of last year is the thing right. so but then he flew
0: away he's gone
3: and there's <laughs> no. and there's no reason to think that Harry would be corresponding with him so right. why why track Hedwig at this point
0: yeah
1: also this is a chapter with some brief glimpses of other school lessons and the Snape one alarmed me. Snape wanted them to research antidotes, and he had hinted that he might be poisoning one of them before Christmas to see if their antidote worked. Like, come on. Oh, my gosh. So <laughs> I, I just think he's trying to one-up Moody.
3: He he oh. hears that Moody is putting unforgivable curses on students.
1: What's, what's some poison? You think that's bad? I'm going to poison the students. <laughs> <laughs>
3: he wants to have some fun, too
1: final odd and ends Hermione again voices her concerns over the house elves and she's been trying to get people to sign up for spew but it's not going well Neville joins just so she'd stop bothering him but it makes me wonder what if the, would there have been a better way to approach kids about this and convince them of the severity of the issue and her concerns there there must have been a better way I was thinking maybe they could hold Hermione could hold some sort of like presentation in the Gryffindor common room to start like hey guys I have something serious to talk to you about I assume she just kind of I mean part of the issue she probably approached it wrong
0: she's just rattling the tin in people's faces while they're trying to study
3: yeah I think it's an example of a situation where Hermione is being overbearing and that really hinders her ability to deliver the message that she wants. She needs a good PR person. She she needs people like Fred and George, really, to sell her product to get people interested. I don't. I just don't think she's so passionate about it. She's so overtaken by it that it's kind of clouding her ability to get people to come on board. Like what you are saying with Neville, like she wouldn't stop pestering him. That's the only reason why he agreed. <laughs>
2: I will say there's something that's just so school about this that totally like goes back to anytime my classmates were selling something or trying to get people to sign up for interest in, you know, I'm thinking of like student council and, you know, it's like, oh, I need a petition to, you know, and, you know, they get kind of in your face about it. It's like, you don't care about the issue because I think you're too young to really like, you know, pitch your tent on any side of the fence. But I, I think that. The dynamic between students is really fun, and we don't often get that sort of talked about um, in the books. And here's an example of it, and it's that Hermione's failing. Katie, you want to bring up your justice for Hermione point?
0: Yes, justice for Hermione. I do think it, I, I'm, I'm not wrong here to think that there was a conversation about how, how Hermione could have missed house elves or like, come on, how could you be surprised? Right. You read so much. Well, we find out why they're not mentioned in all the books. And holy
1: cow. Not in Hogwarts of history. She was coming up with some alternative titles for Hogwarts yes. history too,
2: which was what really a funny. Conspiracy. What a conspiracy. Yeah. She what still never asked the question herself. She still never asked, how does the oh, bed get made?
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. She's not making it.
2: Well, to that
3: point, I mean, she's missing a big piece of the puzzle here, right? She's relying solely on what's inside or not inside the books that she's reading and i think fred and george there's a teaching moment for her here and Mm -hmm. it's the same thing we talked about with ron uh in the last episode no one's ever been down to actually have a conversation with the house elves to talk to them about what their life is like and i think for both ron and hermione it's something that they really need to do. And I think for Hermione until she does it, she's not going to have a full picture of what's going on here. It's interesting that it's Fred and George that, that kind of deliver this to
1: her. All right. It's time for MVP of the week. Uh, Once again, I'm, I'm team Eric over here. I'm giving mine to Barty Crouch Jr. for pulling off this lie about Dumbledore suggesting he imperious the kids He's been such a cool, convincing Mad-Eye that he can convince the kids this is a real thing that happened. <laughs> I, My hat's off
2: to you, sir. <laughs> Man, we're praising Barty so much, we might have to get a special sound effect.
1: No! <laughs> oh, no. I won't go that uh, far.
2: Uh, I'm going to give my MVP of the week to Filch for figuring out, I assume it was him, how to make the suits of armor not squeak when they move. It was either him or some house elves, but I'd like to think it was Filch. I'm going to say it was... Filch w- has discovered WD-40. And that's what I was going to oh, say. Oh, yeah.
0: hardware store.
2: Wizard <laughs> dad 40.
3: <laughs> 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 well, Laura gave it to the horses. Respect for their livers. <laughs> Absolutely. Good point. Maybe they have like fully fortified livers where it just...
2: They're know, twice as thick they, as any other may, liver. Maybe yeah. they
3: just process single malt whiskey like water. So it's just, you know. I hope so. <laughs> in one end, out the other. God. Uh, I'm giving my MVPs to Fred and George. Just talked about it, but dropping some knowledge on Hermione and actually giving her some advice that she could follow in future mm-hmm. chapters.
0: And I'm giving mine to Meta Maxine for her entrance, for her black satin, her opals, and her energy.
1: Hell yeah. Listeners, if you have any feedback about today's discussion, you can contact us by emailing or sending a voice memo recorded on your phone to mugglecast.gmail.com or by using our phone number, which is 19203-Muggle. That's 1920-368-4453. Spotify users, don't forget, you can just tap into an episode and send us some feedback right within the episode page. And like I said earlier, we might feature it on the episode page. It's a pretty cool feature Spotify's got. And next week, we'll discuss chapter 16 of Goblet of Fire, The Goblet of Fire. And now it's time
2: for Quizzage. Last week's question, what are the first two words of Sirius's second letter back to Harry this year? I am including the greeting of the letter, which some people got tripped up on, but remember how... Harry wrote Sirius saying, my scars hurting. Sirius said, I'm on my way. Harry said, never mind. Sirius's reply is, nice try, Harry. So I was looking for nice try was the correct answer. Correct answers were submitted by Robbie, Sarah Clarkius, Elizabeth K, Crystal, Molly, Nobby Dobby, Wink Wink It's Winky, Must Be a Weasley 1992, The Single Malt Whiskey That Madame Maxine Horses Drink. <laughs> It's a dragon. It's a flying house. It's an Abraxan drawn carriage. Ca- <laughs> Kaladin Stormblast, Hermione Doobie spewing facts sometimes, Professor Stumblemore, Supfiggy, Hallow Wolf. And if this name gets read out, then remember kids, peer pressure works.
0: Oh, <laughs> jeez.
2: All right. Wow. <laughs> that, uh, thank you to all who submitted. And uh, here is next week's Quizage question. Which Dermstrang student asks Igor Karkaroff to have some wine? Submit your correct answer to us over on the Quizich form, mugglecast.com slash or go to uh, MuggleCast website and click on Quizich from the main nav. Katie, thanks so much for joining us today. You were
1: an amazing co-host, and we extra appreciate you for filling in, in a way, for Laura this week.
0: It was a blast. Thank you for
1: having me. And listeners, if you want to co-host MuggleCast one day, you can become a Patreon at the Slug Club level and fill out the co-host form. We have this Patreon because tuition at Hogwarts might be free, but running the show is not. So we really appreciate your financial support. If you're an Apple podcast user, you can subscribe to MuggleCast Gold, which gets you ad-free early access to MuggleCast, plus two bonus MuggleCast installments every month. And a new bonus MuggleCast coming out very soon, just in time for Valentine's Day. We'll be spinning a character wheel and trying to explain why the two characters the wheel lands on uh, should totally be dating. It's going to be a lot of fun, and (laughs) I'm very nervous. (laughs) And then, of course... Mostly because
3: of what I'll say, I'm sure, right?
1: definitely like you're, yes. you're you're
3: afraid of yeah.
1: and just being put under pressure with two care we don't know what we're, what we're going into right now it's it's, it's terrifying <laughs> should be a halloween special um <laughs> but like i mentioned we have patreon.com slash as well you'll get all the benefits of MuggleCast gold plus live streams planning docs the chance to co-host the show one day a new physical gift every year the MuggleCast collectors club and more And then lastly, we do have our Etsy store, which is at MuggleMillennial.etsy.com. You can buy one of our Sweet 16 wooden cars, our cozy, comfy combo pack, signed album art, really signed by the four Mugglecasters. We got t-shirts and some other things over there too. MuggleMillennial.etsy.com. These are all gifts that we created for patrons. We still have some extras, extras of, so we're selling them now while supplies last. Visit MuggleCast.com for transcripts, social media links, our full episode archive, our favorite episodes, and to contact us. That does it for this week's episode. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Katie. Bye, everyone.
0: Bye. Bye.
1: Bye.